Welcome to the New Books Network. So hello, everybody, and a special welcome to Joni Zussman, who is the publisher of Carbon, and it's so great to have you on the show. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. It was wonderful seeing you in Tel Aviv um, in November and to have a chance to meet you face to face after communicating just by email. So I am thrilled to be here and happy to talk about Jewish children's books, which is my favorite thing in the world. So and, and I'm even more thrilled. But Joni, I, forgot, I was so thrilled I forgot to introduce myself and the uh, and the uh, program. So uh, my name is Mel Rosenberg, and I am lucky enough to be the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. I'm being a bit facetious because I founded the channel, so I'm not really that lucky. Um, and um, I want to welcome you all. I'm also the co-founder of Our Books, a, a website which just celebrated a quarter of a million uh, ebooks uh, written by children and teachers in 30 different languages, including Hebrew, Yiddish, English, French, and what have you. Uh, now back to you, Joni Zussman. So you're the publisher of a real publishing house. Um, tell me uh, tell me about it. Tell me how you got there. Okay. Yes, I am the publisher of a real publishing house. Um, Carbon Publishing is actually an imprint of Learner Publishing Group. Uh, Learner is a school and library, but also trade children's book publisher um, owned by a lovely Jewish family. They are also committed to Jewish children's books. I publish about 25 books a year in my division. Learner publishes more like 500 books. So it's big company. We are a small imprint, but Jewish families and educators love Jewish children's books. So we do extremely well. Uh, we publish books on all kinds of subjects um, that have to do with, with Yiddishkeit, everything from Jewish holidays, uh, Bible stories, Mishnahs, folktales, um, Jewish history, Jewish heroes, and really the kinds of books that we publish these days have really expanded in the 20 years that I've been the publisher um, here at Carbon. So it's been a lot of fun to see what has happened with Jewish children's books over the years. My kids are now grown up. I am a bubby. Um, and I remember when my kids were little, there were two or three maybe Jewish children's books. They were actually carbon books. They were one or two color books. They were paperbacks, but they were the first time that we could get our hands on actual Jewish stories other than something like all of a kind family. There were certainly some amazing, you know, a couple of amazing books featuring Jewish characters, but really not that many and certainly nothing about Jewish holidays specifically or things to which my kids could relate. So the famous early books, The Mouse and the Matzah Factory, and some of these books that some people still contact us today asking for the original Mouse and the Matzah Factory, which looked like a piece of matzah on the cover. It was like a brown, brown and white cover. And we've since redone the art with four color, beautiful illustrations and people still like the original. So these books have been around for a long time. And since then we have added many, many kinds of um, Jewish books. We were the first, first publisher to do something with same-sex Jewish families to try to recognize and explore um, what was going on in the Jewish world. We have a rich and wonderful Jewish culture, not only here in North America, but also of course in Israel and around the world. And we wanted kids to be able to see themselves. You know, it's the old windows and mirrors. We wanted them to be able to look through windows to see families and situations different from their own, but also mirrors so that everybody could see themselves. 
and I can talk about this a little bit more, but lately it's been very, we've had a lot of interest in other kinds, all kinds of Jewish culture, Sephardic stories, you know, not just Ashkenazic shtetl stories, but Sephardic stories of all kinds, um, Iraqi Jews, um, Jews from really all over the world. We have some new books now about um, the Jewish community in Mexico, um, Latino Jews, people who come from all over, certainly Jews of color. We're looking for more authors and stories about that community. So you know, we are now, we are you, all one and we want to celebrate all of those things. Now, you, you, you've gone from uh, gefilte fish to include other uh, delicious uh, Jewish dishes, uh, the, the kebabs and the and malawach and, the, and so on. Uh, before we go back, and I have a million zillion questions to ask you about carbon and the publishing business and the Jewish publishing business. Um, Joni, tell us about you. Uh, tell you about me. Okay, well, in sort of my little elevator speech, I am a child of two Holocaust survivors. Wearing my other hat, I do a lot of work with Holocaust education. I'm also the immediate past president of Books for Africa because I believe in children's books for everybody. And I do a lot of work with that wonderful organization, you know, bringing education to the kids of Africa. I'm a former president of the Jewish Community Relations Council of Minnesota and the Dakotas. Um, and these are all things that speak to my various interests, but my first love is really Jewish children's books. And it's just been delightful to see how this has grown. When I first started at Carbon, we did about six books a year. Now we do about 25 books a year and the interest has just grown. So um, yeah, I've been in this business for a very long time. Prior to this, I worked um, for other publishers um, did some magazine publishing, owned a printing company for a while, so I know the production end. So it's been a long career. I've been around for a long time. Okay, but um, you skipped the most important part for me, which is Little Joni, because I have a theory that people who go into picture books and young children publishing uh, are essentially, I wouldn't say arrested uh, young children, but uh, young children at heart. Are you a young child at heart? I am a young child at heart. Um, I grew up, as I said, in a in a home with Holocaust survivors. So my first language was actually Yiddish. And even though we didn't have much when I was a kid growing up, we had books. And some of the very first books we had were books that were published by Learner Publishing. My dad was in the printing business and he published some of the early Learner books. So um, when you were, uh, you're frozen on me a little bit. I hope you come back. Uh, I'm, 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 yeah, there you go. Okay. It's a, because it's cold in Minneapolis. <laughs> yes. It's snowing for the millionth time in Minneapolis. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know whether you know this, but I'm born in Winnipeg. So essentially. Oh, so we're I, neighbors. Yeah. Uh, well, I ended up in Ottawa, which is also a very cold place. Yep. Been uh, in, been in Winnipeg. That's, you know, as you know, directly North of us, my dad used to go ice fishing there. So we've been in Winnipeg many times. Of course. Um, and I have not been back in about 50 years, uh, but that's another discussion. And this program is about you. So um, what so when you are in the publishing business, uh, what age is the young Joni? Are you I'm guessing you're a six year old. You must be some age. How old? How old am I? Is that what you're asking me? <laughs> at, at, at heart, are you a six year old? <laughs> Um, well, I'm pretty old now, but yes, I, my love of children's books really started when I was young. Um, I've always been interested in kids' books. Even before I worked for Carbon, I worked so, for so children's that, book that, publishers. That's what I wanted to ask you. So, so yeah. uh, among the 
the um, ordinary, uh, I'm looking for a word, the non-denominational books, uh, the picture books you grew up on. Can you just mm -hmm. name a few that you loved? Oh, name a few that I loved as a kid? Yeah. Um, I liked Alice in Wonderland. We had class classic children's stories of my day. So I kind of cut my teeth on those little women, um, things like that. Authors um, write about the experience from their point of view. Laura Ingalls Wilder was, you know, we can visit her house here in Minnesota. And she wrote about her experience with Native Americans. And, you know, it was a, a difficult and scary time for pioneers. Nevertheless, it would be great to have some Native American stories telling what it was like for that community to have settlers and pioneers moving onto their lands. So I think the time is ripe for really a variety of stories and really a prism of history. And I think that's happening, actually. So I, I just got back from the Society of Children's Book Writers and the Illustrators meeting in New York. And I came away with the following uh, thoughts that um, the people who are the gatekeepers of the industry of children's books, uh, being uh, the agents uh, and the publishers, um, all have their own penchant for, for picture books, for children's books. And I'm guessing that it has to do with their background, the books they grew up with. Uh, do you think this influences you? Are, are you looking for books of a particular kind that, that, that bring you back, bring you a um, cut the feelings of, of, of childhood? Actually, not so specifically. I'm really trying to keep contemporary kids in my head. So now I have a two-year-old grandson and I understand the world that he's growing up in. And is he interested in reading about shtetl bubbies who spoke Yiddish? That's not his experience. I'm his bubby. I don't speak Yiddish to him. I go on bike trips. I'm, you know, I'm not the, the bubby of old. That's not to say that we wouldn't do some shtetl stories and some Helm stories and some Ashkenazi folk tales. We certainly will. But I'm very focused on giving kids contemporary stories that they can relate to, things that are happening in their lives, um, things that they can do. I'm going to do one little show and tell. I have my new fall. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have galleys of my new fall titles, and I was going to show a couple of them as to demonstrate the kind of things we do. And I do understand that some people are on audio only, so I'll describe as well as show. But I wanted to do an example of here. So this, is, this is show and tell and describe. Show and tell. This is, and so there will be a lot of tell also. But this book is called Three, I don't know if you can quite see it. It's called Three Jumps to Sorry. And it's a story about a contemporary little Jewish girl here and her puppy. And if you look closely at the art, you'll see that this is a biracial or interracial child. It says nothing about that in the book, but we try to make the illustrations as inclusive as we can. So not everybody is going to be a white kid with dark curly hair. We're going to have kids of all different cultures and backgrounds. So you'll notice in this illustration, even though there's nothing mentioned about it in the book, this is about a little kid who's kind of a mazik. She's, um, you know, she's sometimes careless. She's a darling child, but she breaks her mother's glass apple right before Rosh Hashanah. And she's worried that her mother is going to yell at her or be angry. But instead, the mom creates a game where she puts 
three pieces of paper on the floor with the numbers one, two, and three, and teaches the child that there are three steps to saying, I'm sorry. So this is a Yom Kippur story. And the first is to acknowledge that you did something wrong. And the second is, you know, to, to truly apologize and be sorry. And the third is to not to try not to do it again. And so we've taken a theme of Yom Kippur, which is a hard theme for children's books because it's fasting and sadness and serious, you know, it's a serious, difficult holiday for small children. And we've come up with a way to bring Yom Kippur to a contemporary Jewish family doesn't have any prayers, doesn't have God, but it deals with a very important lesson of knowing how to say, I'm sorry, which is a key theme of Yom Kippur. It's beautiful. So let's talk about how this book came to be. Who's the author? Who's the illustrator? How did the author find you? How did you find the author? Okay, so um, yes, and hopefully there are some authors and illustrators here who are listening to this and can send me their information. If you anyone wants to send me anything, send it to editorial at carben.com, K-A-R-B-E-N.com, and put in the note, make in the subject line, write Mel. And that way I'll know that you heard about this from, you know, I get a lot, a lot of manuscripts. I probably get eight or 900 manuscripts a year of which I publish 25. I read them all, but by now I'm a pretty experienced editor and I know you know, from the beginning, it's pretty easy to tell if it's something in which we're not interested at all. Either the subject matter isn't right for us, or the writing is just excruciatingly terrible or something like that. It's also easy to tell the ones that for sure we want. The writing is great. The subject matter is great. It's a win. But there's most of them, I would say, are in that middle group where it's good writing, but the subject matter isn't quite what it should be, or it has a bad ending that isn't you know, engrossing or something like that. Or it's great subject matter, or it's not very good subject matter, but the author is a very good writer. And I would like to develop this story with the author. So there are all of these manuscripts. Um, we only accept complete manuscripts. I don't expect um, pitches or I wanna write a book about this. I just don't have the time to really deal with that, but I accept uh, manuscripts from debut authors, from agents. You know, we do books by Jane Yolen, who is a famous author, and Eric Himmel, who is a famous Jewish author, but also from debut authors. And in fact, I'm proud to say that I was just in New York last week for the National Jewish Book Awards, and my middle grade novel, The Prince of Steel Pier by Stacey Nakowitz, won the National Jewish Book Award. It's a middle grade novel, and she's a debut author. This was her very first book, and she hit a home run her very first time out. But Joan, so, I, I have a theory about that, too. Uh, you know, I used to be a scientist, so I have theories about everything. So <laughs> I think that debut authors, in order to break in, they have to be really super outstanding. That's very true. Um, you know, you never know. I have, as this is just an example of saying that I publish books by debut authors who have never written anything and books by very seasoned authors that know exactly what to do. I would say that often the seasoned authors are easier to work with than the debut authors because seasoned authors appreciate an editor's pencil. They, oh. know, they know that books can, you know, they know that both they and their editor want the book to succeed in the marketplace. So even though they love their words, they're very open to working with an editor. Sometimes debut authors are less so. And so I would say to any of you debut authors out there, if your book is accepted by a publisher, please take seriously the editorial comments. We want your book to succeed. And we encourage debut authors, as I said, 
I just had a big home run from a debut author, which is great. Um, you know, I have a, um, a sort of debut book coming out this summer, and I just wrote somebody the same letter today. You know, don't worry, the editor is going to change it. You want a picture book, it's going to be an early reader. You want an American illustrator, it's going to be an Israeli illustrator. This always happened to me. And, and, and it's, it's always for the good. Yes, although what I would say to all writers is, do have a critique group, do have somebody read the book who doesn't know you, not your friend, not your mom, all of whom are going to want to tell you that it's wonderful, but some actual, you know, some people who are invested in good children's literature, hone it, don't send the very first version of it, send the very best version of it. <clears throat> and then do watch for grammar and spelling and all of those things. You also want to make a good impression. If you're an author, you don't want to misspell words and use bad grammar and those kinds of things, even though those would be corrected in the editorial process. Give it your best shot, obviously, when you send it in. And, and what about the query letter that people uh, are so worried about, authors? Uh, so, what weight do you give the query letter? Um, I, I find them interesting. I don't really give them weight. In fact, if you send me a manuscript with no query letter, that's fine too, actually. I mean, it's good for you to send in a query letter um, or what we would call a cover letter with your manuscript, telling me a little bit about yourself, which is interesting, but really I don't read the cover letters first. My process is I read the manuscript, you know, almost blind. It might have your name on it, but I try to read it blind because I you know, how is, what does the manuscript do? And then I, if I like it, especially, then I want to know a little bit about you. What brought you to this subject? Um, I know a lot of authors say it's a, you know, it's a combination between two very famous children's books, which I find kind of funny often, you know, that this is, uh, uh, I'm just trying to think of something. It's a combination of all of a kind family and the best book you've ever read, you know, that's that's fine. But when I read the manuscript, I I know where it's coming from and, you know, kind of what you have in mind. So, so in, enough, enough for the comps already. Enough yeah, for the comps. Uh, right. The comps are, you know, it's fine to include something like that. And really writing seminars teach you to do it that way. So that's perfectly fine. Um, and it's also good to send an author on that sort of a search to see what else is out there. Because sometimes I get a book and there's a brand new book that just came out on that very subject in the Jewish world. And this is particularly true, by the way, of picture book biographies. All of a sudden, there's a slew of books. You know, Irving Berlin, it was his 100th birthday. So there were three books, and that's per perfectly fine. But do, I would say, do a little bit of research on your subject. Simply go onto Amazon and put in some keywords in children's books and see what comes up because you want to see if there's something that's the exact same subject you're writing about that came out last year because you know a publisher is less likely to do something one on top of the other. If it's something that came out 20 years ago, then that might even be worth mentioning because then it could be time for a refresh. So doing the research is really important, but you know, no need to really worry too much about the comps. But telling me why you've told the story that you have is useful. If it is part of your childhood or it's an experience you've had, all of that becomes good stuff for your bio and the jacket copy and all of that. So all of those kinds of things are good for me to know, even though if we accept your book, we're going to ask you about those things anyway. But that's good stuff to put in a cover letter. Once I like a manuscript, I'm going to take a good look at your cover letter and see who you are and where you're coming from. So, so Joni, uh, among the 25 titles you publish a year, this is very wonderful for me, this, this interview, I must say. Um, 
and I have lots of questions still. Uh, <laughs> don't go away. So go right among, ahead. No. Among the 25 titles you publish, how many are directly from author submissions? How many are from agent submissions? You know, when I started 20 years ago, 100% of them were directly from authors. No Jewish children's book authors were going to agents because I guess agents really didn't, didn't see the market there. But now I'd say, I'd say probably 60% are directly from authors and 40% are through agents. So, you know, if you'd like to have an agent, perfectly fine. I'm happy negotiating with them. Um, you know, if you want to wing it on your own, that is perfectly fine. Because when you look at a contract, you can ask me questions and I will happily answer them. Um, so we go either way. And I'm perfectly happy to deal with whatever an author is comfortable with. No, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Is it easier for you to negotiate with a writer or an agent? Um, well, in some ways, it's easy with an agent because an agent, you know, knows what to ask. But in a lot of ways, it's easy to negotiate it's easier to negotiate with an author, um, partly because the main stuff is stuff is right up front. What is the, you know, what's the advance? What's the royalty? What about hardcovers or paperbacks or eBooks um, and world rights? You know, we want to be able to sell, to distribute the book all over the world, those kinds of things. And if authors don't ask me the questions, I will tell them, you know, there's no surprises when once an author sees a contract, I'll go through it with them if they don't have an agent and answer any questions and explain things. Um, agents are often focused on things like merchandising rights and that sort of stuff. And truthfully, we almost never do any merchandising. So, you know, if you want to keep your merchandising rights, that's fine. We're unlikely to make a stuffed animal out of your character. And agents are focused on those things because they do a wide range of books. So I absolutely understand that. Um, so, you know, I either, either way, I'm happy to talk authors through contracts and I'm happy to work with agents. And I know many of them and many agents I work with regularly. You know, they know the kinds of books I like and they send me things. So okay. that's, that's good too. Okay. Now you, asked, you said I could ask you anything. So now I'm going to. Yeah. Uh, okay. small, smaller publishers like Carbon uh, cannot give the type of advances that larger publishers can. That's not a question, but the answer is yes. Um, okay. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, we are unlikely <laughs> it, to give it had, advances. It had a question mark at the end. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, we don't necessarily give as high an advance as something like um, Penguin Random House might give you, for instance. But the reason is that we're going to publish a Tuba Shvat book that's going to have a pretty small circulation. And Penguin Random House is going to be more interested in a Hanukkah book that has a larger circulation. So it kind of depends on what kind of book it is. If it's a Hanukkah book and I'm going to sell more copies, the advance is going to be larger. Um, you know, in the publishing world, margins are small. So by the time we pay the author and we pay the production costs, if it has a small market, you know, we we have a limited amount and we're hoping that if it does really well, the author will make money on the royalty side, even if the advance is relatively small. And of course, we have an illustrator involved in this project too. Picture books are, are pricey little devils. Um, but I'm also committed to, to doing books on Tubishvat and on Shavuot, um, where I know I'm not going to sell that many copies, but we're probably the only publisher that has two books about Tisha B'Av. Um, you know, it's it comes in the summer. Most families don't buy books about Tisha B'Av. Um, it's something celebrated pretty much at summer camp and that's it. So, but I wanna be able to offer a full range of books on a full range of Jewish topics. So sometimes a Hanukkah book will, will subsidize a Tisha B'Av book and that's good too. 
One sec. So I, I need to know. This is very interesting. So there's a hierarchy here, which I never really thought about because I usually write about Purim, which is my favorite holiday, which, uh -huh. just, which just was. Um, but you're saying Hanukkah is right up there, you know. Um, Hanukkah right. is the, so biggest, for instance, uh, the biggest draw among Jewish children's books. Hanukkah and Passover. I sell a lot of Hanukkah and Passover books to Barnes and Noble. I sell no Tubishvat books to Barnes and Noble. So, you know, and again, there so it's, it's Hanukkah and then Pesach, which is Passover. Just, yeah, those are the those are the big ones. Those what are the about ones Purim? That, what about Purim? You know, Purim is popular in the Jewish community, but most, you know, most of the book reps don't know. You know, I, I do a presentation. We, you know, we have trade book reps that sell all of learners books. So twice a year, as everyone knows, book seasons are spring and fall. Usually fall is the bigger oomph season kind of thing, but spring and fall. And I divide up my holiday books. If it's fall holiday, if it's a spring holiday, you know, the Jewish world falls in that way. So so um, show, show us the Yom Kippur book. So, so after you were now touting Hanukkah and, and Passover and a little bit uh, Purim and then uh, Tisha B'Av, who, who buys the book on Yom Kippur? Um, Jewish preschools buy the book on Yom Kippur. And this particular book about saying I'm sorry, which is a really popular subject for parents, Yom Kippur or not, families will buy that book too. And again, these are books you're getting a preview. These are books that are coming out in fall of 23. So I'm showing you galleys, actually. The books are not yet available. Yeah. But I can show you, if you'd like, I can take a little pause and and and, and, and people can probably pre-order, I'm guessing. Um, you could probably pre-order them. You might be able to pre-order them on Amazon or something, although I always encourage people to go to indie bookstores and Jewish bookstores and to our website at carbon.com and support the little guys, but you definitely can pre-order them. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in favor of supporting everybody but Amazon. Um, so, so can you show the book? How, how did you find the author? How did the author find you? Uh, for, that about that. for that particular book. Um, so that particular book, the author is Amy Novit. And the illustrator is Anna Zurita, who is, um, she's from Spain. And she did a lovely job of portraying the child. So I guess this can bring me to an interesting thing. When I first started um, working at Carbon, all of the illustrations were painted on pieces of paper or drawn or done with acrylics and the author and the illustrators would package them up and send them by FedEx. Now that we can do everything digitally, Carbon's authors are from all over the world. So for instance, we did... Where, where's Amy from? Um, Amy's, Amy's American. Amy's from the United States. Um, and again, Anna is from is from Spain. I'm looking through a couple of other things to sort of find some examples of things. Um, so I thought I would actually show you a couple of um, the upcoming Hanukkah books we have, because um, well, hang on here, I have to grab one more. So Joan, I have to start writing about Hanukkah. Pardon me. I have to start writing about Hanukkah. Um, show us the Hanukkah books, and then I have the big question because I'm. I'm I'm worried that our internet is going to go dead and then we're going to have to reschedule. Okay. 
Okay, do you want to ask your questions first? I was just going to show some Hanukkah books because they're very diverse and I thought yeah. that would be fun. No, to no, show. go ahead. Show that okay. Hanukkah. So we have we have three Hanukkah books this year. And the first one, which I'm holding up, is called The Mexican Dreidel. And it is about a Jewish kid living in Mexico who celebrates Hanukkah. And the way he does that is he has a dreidel, but the Mexican kids have things called trompos. And they are like little spinning tops. It's a charming story. And it's done by co-authors, which is why I want to bring it up. Um, it's Linda Elevitz Marshall and Ilan Stevens. And Ilan is a Mexican Jew. So he could, you know, he... The two of them, I don't know who, which author wrote which part, but this is what we would call an own voices story, where it's a story being told from somebody by somebody from that actual culture. The second one we have is called Mrs. Maccabee's Miracle. And this is a hilarious stories that I think mom and a hilarious story that I think moms in particular would like, because this is a story, an imagined story of the five Maccabee brothers who are always losing things. They can't find their sword. And the mom says, look behind the door and they can't find their toga. And the mom says, look over here. So now it's the Hanukkah story. They have defeated the, the Greeks, the Syrians. They come to the temple and they're looking for the oil and they can't find it. And they think, what would mom say? And mom would say, where's the last place that you saw it? Go look there. And sure enough, they look there and they find the oil for the temple. It's a very, very funny and cute story. And within it, it also tells the Hanukkah story. So I think moms are really gonna like this. It's sort of a celebration of moms. The third one is called A Wild, Wild Hanukkah. And this one has gorgeous artwork. It is a, a story about a bunch of animals coming to a Hanukkah party, and it is by an author illustrator, um, Joe Gershman, with also some, um, some of the text by Bob Strauss. And uh, this brings me to the point that we do take books by author illustrators as well. Usually somebody is one or the other, either you're a great writer or you're a great illustrator, but sometimes the magic works and you have both those skills, in which case we're happy to do books by author illustrators. And we actually have one in the works now by Miri Leshempeli, who is a, an Israeli author illustrator. Um, and it's a beautiful nature story about Israel. And, and she did both Miri's the text. A big, uh, a big hero of ours. She's wonderful. And she did both the text and the illustrations. And it's going to be a wonderful book. So, yes. Uh, wonderful. So, so um, and, and so you, you don't, um, you don't prefer to have author illustrators. If, if, no, it depends on fact, the book. I, unless that's unless that's really your jam, be one or the other. If you're an author, send me your manuscript. Don't give me art direction. I know how to make books. Don't worry about the stuff that's not really in your ballpark. Just write me a wonderful story. Usually five to 800 words for a picture book, if that's helpful. Um, most, a lot of manuscripts tend to be too long. Again, they can be edited, but- You have, you have to fix your website, Joni. Does it say something else in it? Yeah. I haven't looked at it for a while. Thank you. I will, we'll, I will update we'll, that. We'll correspond. Okay. Yeah. And we probably haven't updated it for a while. So thank you. But, you know, these days, and by the way, that's something that has really changed over time. When I first started 20 years ago, 1,200 words was pretty typical for a children's picture book. Uh, for instance, our Sammy Spider books, our early Sammy Spider books that many of you will know, those clock in at 1,000 to 1,200 words. Today, when teachers read those books, half of them are only reading half the sentences on the page. Really, now the word count for a children's picture book is about half that. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but shoot for that. And don't worry about giving me art direction or page breaks or any of that. We can handle all of that. Just concentrate on wonderful story. And the art notes. 
Um, art notes. There's a big know, debate about art notes, you know. Um, you know, if there's something that in that story that I wouldn't know from what you're what you're reading. So, for instance, if you write a story, but the story is about bears, and the bear's name is Max, so I don't know if it's a kid or a bear. Tell me up front. This is a story where all the characters are animals. Although in truth, sometimes I get a story that's meant to be a story about children, and we decide to make them all animals for whatever reason. We wouldn't do that without talking with the author, but those things happen. But sometimes there are things that that need to be conveyed that you see as being conveyed in the illustration that isn't in the text at all. Definitely make a note about that because I'm not actually a mind reader. So for that, yes. So but now I come to the mega question. So, so first okay. of all, you have three Hanukkah books coming out. Yeah. And you're looking for more Hanukkah books. Yeah. Because, because you're, you have a list now. You're looking probably for 2026, for Hanukkah, Hanukkah 26. And for authors, you should be so lucky that Carben will take an interest in your book and that Joni will publish you. But we're looking now more than three years into the distant Hanukkah future. That is right. But, um, and this year we did three Hanukkah books. I more typically do one or two. I just happen to have three good ones and very different kinds of books that will appeal to different markets. You're always on the look for Hanukkah and Passover books. Yes, but I don't want to overemphasize that because truthfully, I've got, you know, I've got competition. As I said, Penguin Random House publishes Hanukkah books too. So I'm, you know, I don't want to overemphasize that. Those are, those are only the books that also can be sold to, you know, the Barnes and Nobles of the world. But I am really looking for all kinds of Jewish themed stories. Don't bang your head on Hanukkah books. Um, you know, if you've got picture book biographies are really popular, I get a lot of those now. Um, and one of the interesting things about that is the question that I talk about with my editorial team is, should we do a book about somebody who's well known? Or should we do a book about somebody that no one's ever heard of that's amazing? Um, you, you know, so picture book biographies are great. Folk tales are always wonderful. Kids love them. Um, Helm stories are good, but they have to be truly funny and unique. Um, and that's harder than you think. Um, and stories about Jewish American history are really popular. I'd say if you want to send me something, find some story about the Jews participating in some aspect of Jewish American history. For instance, now I'm doing one by Jane Yolen that's still a year out that's about um, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And the, the crux of the story is that Lincoln was assassinated on Shabbat, and which I didn't actually realize. And rabbis and synagogues all over America announced the assassination on Shabbat. And what effect did that have on the Jewish community? Some of those Jewish fathers in the congregation had fought in the Civil War. What did they think? It is beautiful. So if, there, if you have ideas about Jews in American Jewish history, I would love to see those stories. So, so Joni, um, I, I'm going to now get to my mega question. Okay. okay? Um, and, and this is a question that I, I can ask all of the people who publish in a certain genre, in a certain style. Um, and, and that is, um, and I, I'm saying this as an author. Uh, if, if I leave this conversation and I say, Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Hanukkah. Joni wants a book about Hanukkah. It doesn't matter if it's Hanukkah. It doesn't matter if you want a book about chicken legs. I go and I say, chicken legs, chicken legs, chicken legs. I'm not going to write my best story. I'm going to, I'm going to write my best story when I have a story to tell. And it just happens to have some Yiddishkeit in it. Your comment, please. 
Yes, that is wonderful. You know, it used to be that the early books that I did at Carbon were, it is Shabbat, we light the candles, we say the mozi, whatever. We don't really do books like that anymore, except maybe a board book for very small children. We want stories that have Jewish characters in them, but they don't even need to be specifically um, about a Jewish thing. We're doing one called Sophie's Monster Goes to Shul. And it's a story about a little girl who has an imaginary monster that she kind of relies on. She's a, uh, you know, she needs that monster and she goes to synagogue and the monster comes with her. And after a while, she realizes that she can fly solo and she doesn't need the monster anymore. And she writes the monster into a story. This is not about a Jewish holiday. And it's really just about a little Jewish girl growing up in the world. Um, we have a book here called, it's called A Book About Bubkas. And it's by Leslie Kimmelman, and the illustrator is Roxana Durand. And this is a story about bubkas, the Yiddish word for bubkas meaning nothing. And the story is that sometimes something that seems like bubkas can really mean something. So you say, I'm growing some flowers, that's eh, bubkas. But if you take the flowers and you give them to a friend, you've really done something special. So this is an example of a book that is just about basically doing meets vote that's kind of hung on the idea of the Yiddish word bubkas, which is popular. I don't know if um, everybody knows, but Pete Davidson, the Saturday Night Live guy, um, is doing a, a show now called bubkas. So, you know, it's kind of out in the world. And it's funny, you know, having grown up knowing that word, now it's sort of like mitzvah or mazel tov that even non-Jews know those words. So this is a book that's not about a Jewish holiday or even a Jewish subject. It's really about just doing good deeds in the world and stories like that that teach a Jewish value. That's also great. It, it still has the Bobka's hook, though. But yes, but here I want to show one more and tell one more because it's very unusual. This one is called Zhen Yu and the Snake, and it looks like an Asian story. It's by Erica Lyons and illustrated by Renya Mitalinu. And this is a Rabbi Akiva Mishnah that is told about Rabbi Akiva and his daughter that is set in the time of the Kaifeng Jewish community. Erica Lyons, the Jewish author, lives in Hong Kong, and she has written this book, which doesn't look at all like a Jewish story. And it's based on, it teaches a mitzvah about, it's about doing good deeds, actually. Um, and it's a beautiful story, again, based on a Rabbi Akiva story, but told in a different context. So it teaches us about the Jews of Kaifeng, and there's back, back matter about that. And it teaches us about Rabbi Akiva, but the story itself is like a fairy tale. So, you know, use your imagination, you know, take something that's familiar and make it different and special. Um, you know, even like the Mexican dreidel story that's really not about Hanukkah as much as it is about intercultural friendship um, and where a dreidel might have come from and that there are dreidels and trompos in every culture. So, you know, use your imagination for all of those things. Really think outside the box of what you would consider to be a typical book. Don't focus on only Hanukkah or Passover, even though, again, they're lovely. We do, you know, we do a couple of those, but most of the books each season are books about either other Jewish holidays, Purim, we like Shabbat stories, we like Bible stories that can be retold in a clever way, um, all of those kinds of things. I don't need another Noah's Ark story, actually, I got a lot of those, but other Bible stories, yes, 
<laughs> and Daniel in the lion's den, you know, where the lion is going to eat the kid, eh, a little tricky for children. So kind of keep that in mind. But really, we love, I'm of course joking, but we love, we love Bible stories for kids. And especially a beautifully illustrated Bible story tends to be a very good seller. And some of those actually have crossover appeal into the non-Jewish community too. It's what, of course, the non-Jews would call Old Testament. So if it's got a wonderful lesson, sometimes they even have crossover appeal. You never know. So that's uh, that's remarkable. Uh, Joni, is there anything that I haven't asked you? Uh, no. Um, here I thought when we talked pr prior to this starting up, I thought, oh, how are we going to have a conversation for, you know, this whole long time? But here I look at my watch and I see the time has gone by. So I really want to thank you, Mel, for inviting me. I'm so glad we connected up in Israel. And I am welcoming any authors or illustrators who might be listening or watching this um, to please send me material. Would love to publish your stuff. And, 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 and uh, you, you, are, you are a lovely, uh, warm and generous person. And um, sometimes authors, um, you know, because the chance of getting published is, is so small. And like you say, um, I'm guessing it costs fifty or sixty thousand dollars to 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 create a new book. I'm guessing. Am I right? Uh, something a little, like that. A little less than that because our print runs aren't that large, but it's yes, tens of thousands of dollars for sure. How, how you didn't talk about your print runs, Joni? Now that you mention it, you know, usually it depends on what it is, but they're pretty much five to eight thousand copies for a first run. In case anyone's interested in that, again, depending on the topic, we would print fewer you know, two Bishvat books and more books like the Ruth first about the apartheid um, activist, we would do, you know, more copies of something like that. So, so, so Hanukkah and Passover get the 8,000. Then the... Yeah, Hanukkah and Passover <laughs> tend to get more, but it really depends on the subject because something like the Mexican dreidel story probably isn't going to sell as many copies as the wild, wild Hanukkah book that's in rhyme about the animals coming to a Hanukkah party, you know, so even among the Hanukkah and Passover books, we might have different print runs depending on what the subject matter is. And that's okay. And we always reprint. So, you know, there should be, nobody should be worried about, oh, how many will you print? These days, you can reprint even small print runs, you can reprint. Very, and, very. And, and, and uh, Halavai, as we say, uh, you should, uh... You know, the, the book, the first edition should sell out, right? Doesn't always yes, happen. that should be your biggest worry is selling out that first edition. Yeah, we love that. You love that. Um, yeah, all good. So, Joni, um, we, so sometimes we think of, of, of publishers as these um, people who are interested only making money. And, and, um, and, and you come across as such a lovely person. You're so interested and engaging and enthusiastic about bringing wonderful uh, children's books, to, first of all, to Jewish kids, but but also to to non-Jewish kids on on Jewish subjects, and to right. creating to creating more of a of a bond. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna wish us two things. First of all, I'm gonna wish us more connection with Israel, where we have uh, two million plus uh, Israeli children who need you also, and I have to help you find a way to connect better with the Israeli publishers. That's uh, my job. And, uh, and 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 my other my other thing is that until I went to New York for the SCBWI seven years ago, I was writing and I thought my writing was terrific and it was halushus. And um, many people who write to you and you alluded to this um, don't know that writing a children's book is a very difficult craft. It takes years and years of hard work to write a five hundred word a story that yes. meets 
so many criteria and there's so many kinds of readers. And, and my, my um, if I had a mission, it would be to, to, to find a way to help the writers understand that there's so much work to be done. And the people that get summarily rejected by, by agents and, and, and by publishers should know that maybe their work needs to be improved and maybe they need to take courses and join critique groups and improve their craft. That is true. But, and I must say that I have authors who have sent me 10 manuscripts, none of which worked and the 11th worked. So it could be subject matter. It could be that they've gotten better over time. There could be a number of reasons, but I would say first, absolutely try. If you have an interest in this, sit down and start writing. And also do not, do not let a rejection letter send you over the edge at all. Keep on trying, maybe even take, depending on if you got feedback or not. And one of the issues is that we really, I really don't give feedback usually because there's hundreds of people. So I, I can't do that, but you have the opportunity through critique groups and others to get really good, solid feedback. And if you revise a manuscript, sometimes that's happened. I've rejected a manuscript. It's been revised and then I've taken it um, you know, the second or third time around. So if you're committed to your subject, you're writing about something you love, you think your story is great, send it in, take that leap. You know, until you try, you're never going to know. And we're always looking for good children's books. So I appreciate the chance to get in front of whoever's watching and listening here and to let you know a little bit about Carbon. And again, if you want to submit something, it's to editorial at carbon.com. Put the word Mel in the subject line. And I hope that I will hear from some of your authors and illustrators. Oh, and Joni, if, if somebody writes Mel uh, in the subject line and you accept the manuscript, you have to let me know. I will absolutely yes, and, let you know. And we will, and we will be back uh, on the show with that, uh, with that um, author. Yeah, uh, that would be and, great. And, I would love that. And the other thing is, you know, I interview people whose books are coming out. And I would love to interview at least some of your authors when, they're, when their books launch. I would be happy to do that. I will actually put you on our press release list that gives you all of the information on all of that. So going forward, you'll see what's coming and you can, you know, pick if there are some authors that you would like to interview. Authors love to do that. And we do a lot of interviews on various blogs and podcasts and all kinds of things. So I'll add you to our list and then you'll know and just let me know if there are certain authors whose subject matter works for, you know, what you're working on. That would be great. So Joni Zussman, now we've past our time we're now yes. at the 49 minute mark and we could keep going uh but uh, i don't want to keep you uh and you have such an important job to do uh, i said you're the, the you're the gatekeeper of yiddishkeit for young people and, oh. uh, and uh, keep doing the good stuff uh, and um, i'm lucky to know you and meet you and uh the audience has gotten a little taste of uh, of you as a human being uh, of well, what of what you do and your love for children's books and tons of advice for authors. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It was delightful to meet you in person. I'm glad we've made this connection and we will certainly stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks for watching and listening, everybody. Thank you. And I want to thank Joni Zussman, who is the publisher of Carbon. And I want to thank everybody who's watching and listening. And I want to thank the New Books Network for letting me have this Michigan channel, which I love. So this is Mel <laughs> Rosenberg, who gets to host the Children's Literature Channel, the New Books Network. Everybody, Shavua Tov, have a wonderful week. It was great, Joni. Thanks a million. Toda. Thank you. And as they say in Mamalosh, Nashinim Dank.